What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, one of your two co-pilots for this show and co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit happening this November 2024. Joined by my good friend and partner, Richard Harris. He's got his negotiating hat on today. Should yeah. I be worried? Should I be worried about this? Yeah. Do you, can you? It says negotiating is my kind of cardio, Scott. I was thinking about getting you one of these. No, I don't need that, but that makes total sense for you now that I think about it, the way that you like to argue and litigate everything. It is, it is exhausting on my end. So it's my cardio is listening to you, (laughs) but it's not your cardio of choice. I presume that, that is, that is absolutely true. Uh, We are uh, joined today by somebody who's in a field that we have never talked to somebody from this field. I don't know anything about it whatsoever. We're in the presence of TV stardom, Richard. Are you aware? Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited. We're joined today by Stephanie Zielinski. She's the event producer and host at Inside.com, as well as an on-air talent in electronics for HSN, which I believe stands for Home Shopping Network. That's right. I nailed it. How's (laughs) that? Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Excited to be here with you guys. Okay. the The first question is, what does it mean to be an electronics on-air talent at the Home Shopping Network? Okay, I will delineate it for you. Yes. HSN and this direct TV sales was actually born in my hometown in St. Pete, Florida. So this huge TV studio campus is right here. And I have been fortunate enough to be an honor guest for 10 years. At HSN, you have the host and the guest. So the host is always on air. The customer knows them very well. And with every product comes a guest. It's sometimes the founder of the company, or just a representative of the company. So that's what I am for a bunch of different consumer electronic brands from smartwatches to phones, to tablets, to computers. And how did you get into this? Yeah. That's that's, that's the number one question. So somebody just tap you when you're walking on down the street and be like, you would be great for the home shopping network. (laughs) Well, I have the advantage of this being where I've like almost always lived. So that proximity is part of it. But honestly, art brought me to TV. So here in St. Pete, we have this amazing arts magnet, public school education, went through that, went to art school in Baltimore, got to do theater classes there, have always been super outgoing. And right out of college in 2010, when it was hard to find a job, there was this little televised auction house that had an art auction. And they're like, you know everything about art, go for it. So I did that for two years full time before my co-host, who is local, who also worked for HSN in the past, said you should apply for HSN. And so I did. And I've been an honor guest since. So how did you... You know, you mentioned that you're electronics, right? So I assume yeah. there are different people. How did you fall into that? Is that the category they needed? So they're like, okay, ramp yourself or, you know, did yeah. you use? Electronics is, I mean, in the world of shopping in HSN, one of the more difficult categories. Um, I am a millennial. And so 10 years ago, they definitely needed younger people that were up to date with electronics. I've always been tech savvy, especially when it comes to digital art and photography, videography, editing, all that. Like my little audition video that I sent in was me selling my digital camera. So just kind of by nature of being a millennial, I fit well into the electronics category. And I'm really glad that I have been fluent in consumer electronics for 10 years because all of that experience really led me to be able to produce and host 
events at inside.com, which is my full-time job. And that's a tech media company. So the tech runs throughout. Yeah. I've got a, you know, it's interesting, Scott, if you think about this too, is like, she's constantly on presentation demo mode. Yeah. Like this is exactly what it is. And you, how long do you get on a segment usually? Like, is there an average? Is it? It's only about 15 minutes average. Okay. So is, is there a formula to that 15 minutes? Is there like, okay, for one minute, it's this and two minutes, it's that. Um, I'm curious as to how you, how you build the pitch. Oh yeah. It's a magical formula. So you start with the understanding that most viewers of HSN are only watching for about three seconds. Three seconds. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And a lot of people have it on in the background. They're not actually paying attention. So in that 15 minutes, it's okay for me to run through every feature and benefit, which is my responsibility twice. Um, the host is responsible for the call to action and everything around the numbers. So even though a lot of us on-air guests can get very salesy, we can talk about the value, we can bring sense of urgency, our main job is to just paint a picture for the customer of them with this product in their life and how it's making their life better. So this smartwatch that I sell, um, yesterday we were actually, this is big for HSN, experimenting with a new format. I mean, HSN's format has stayed the same since the 80s. So I was literally the second on your guest to go out in the parking lot with the iPhone and, you know, clip mic and walk around and just talk about how I'm using my smartwatch while I walk. And they're going to try this out on HSN too. So it takes a long time with big corporations. I mean, HSN is up there with like Amazon, Walmart as one of the main retailers in the country, one of the biggest. And so it takes a long time for them to have a new format. And HSN 2, their second channel where it's not all live, is the place where they're going to experiment with that. But yeah, so the, the magic to the pitch is like, oh, I'm looking at the photo face. And every time I see the picture of me and my niece, I smile. It's like having a little digital photo frame on your watch, you know, just painting, just telling those stories and and painting that picture. So in a 15 minute segment, the host really does the entire pitch. They they give the customer all the reasons why they'd want to own it, all the, you know, call to action. When I come on, I try and fly through every demo possible as quick as possible. It's a very free-flowing conversation. You can never plan who's going to say what when, but um, I'm always just trying to, yeah, show the customer how easy it is to use and how it's going to benefit them. Richard, you have three seconds to capture somebody's attention. (laughs) How do you do that? I, I, I have captured their attention and repelled them. <laughs> <laughs> Demos are big and um, B-roll is big too. Like there are things, there are like graphs, graphics, animations that the um, vendor submits that support the live presentation and the customer is really used to seeing those. Um, but yeah, like sometimes a killer demo is all it takes. Like for a humidifier, I don't sell a lot of like home stuff, but they'll put it in this plexiglass box and like show how quickly the humidity can spread, you know, and it's just those like old school as seen on TV type, like, wow, demos that, that do hook the customer. Let's talk a little bit about your other role, which is hosting 
these events. This is near and dear to our heart. We've been hosting events yeah. in Costa Rica since 2017, Richard? 18. 2018. 2018. Uh, a couple times a year. So what are some do's and don'ts in 2024 of event hosting? What some Because mm-hmm. things are always changing and evolving with hosting events to make them attractive, compelling, make the learning stick. What what are some practical do's and don'ts that you could share for anybody who's planning on hosting events this year? I think that in-person is just so important these days. Like in 2020, everyone went virtual. That's when inside.com was trying virtual events for the first time. But events are pretty embedded in the DNA of inside because Inside was started by Jason Calacanis. And since the 90s, he's been a connector person. And he really like got his networking strength from just hosting really ad hoc events like in New York when he was young. And his formula has a lot to do with like the the right small group of people. This isn't necessarily how we do it at Inside all the time, but his magic formula is like you know, at Amazon, they have the two pizza team. Jason is also big on like order pizza, like order a bunch of beer, like don't necessarily pay for a venue, just have a restaurant be okay with you bringing 20 people by that all have shared interests. So I see a lot of that happening today too in tech circles when people just want to meet each other and have that magical energy of in-person events. Um, I think virtual events are a grind. Like I think it's always hard to get people to actually tune in. Um, At Inside, we're still doing them. And I think that Every event, we're trying to level up the value and the quality of speaker and making sure that if someone actually shows up for this virtual event and spending their time on that, that they are not only getting a lot of great information, but a lot of networking and follow through with with whatever um, you know need they have in their professional life. So what's the difference between a good, because I think this is people are torn, right? There are people who are willing to start spending their budget again in 2024 for in-person and hosting. And then there's those who are like, well, I still think we can do it, right? What's the difference? Virtually. A, yeah, virtually. What's a, what's the difference between a, a good virtual and a bad virtual? I think. Does, um, and does, more specifically, does size matter? Like, do you yeah, want a thousand I, people coming to a virtual event or not really? I mean, I hear of people doing the events that are just like the spray and pray marketing, just trying to get those big numbers. But those were so much more common in the COVID years. I don't think that you need to have a big event to for it to be successful or high quality. I think Twitter spaces really dominates those like um communities of people it's like okay the community is already there everyone can see that elon musk is hopping on this twitter spaces with with jason or whoever um but yeah i i think that an unhelpful in per or i'm sorry an unhelpful virtual event something that you shouldn't do is the spray and pray method where you're just like oh we don't really have that much of a target um attendee. And I think a high quality one is maybe a smaller number of attendees that's really specific to them. Like I saw one on LinkedIn today that was um, how to invest in real estate without going to jail. And it was like a lawyer that that was like talking about multifamily investing. That's so specific. I love it. So you think it needs to be very finite. So you want something that's 15 or 20 people. As oh, that to- seems... 
I'm talking like a few hundred as opposed to a few thousand. Okay, that's what And I'm trying I think to figure out that's where that still number is. niche. Yeah, I feel like that's still niching down because like in 2020, I mean, we would have 15,000 people on an event about the metaverse, you know, but that's just kind of like the the hype of that term at that time. So I think in the professional world, when people are attending virtual events, they have a really specific reason for doing so. And, and they're going there to advance their career in a specific way. How, how are you evaluated in these different roles? Like how is HSN saying, well, Stephanie's amazing or that one didn't work very well. Are there certain KPIs or is it just like Yeah. you did a good job with your part? Bummer that that shit didn't sell, you <laughs> know? I'll pull back the curtain a little with HSN because it is so fascinating. On set, they used to have the sales screen in front of us with all the cameras and other monitors In real that time, we see. is it going? Yes. Yes. Really? With all the columns and the numbers. Yeah. We used to see that in real time. But a few years ago, they took that away. Oh. So when I get off air, I run to the sales screen that's in the hallway outside of the studio and see my numbers because it really does. The numbers just matter. It just all comes down to Why, the numbers. why did they do it? And why it sounds like you don't like that they did it or you do? Because like, what is your... So when they train on air guests, they tell us that we should never worry about the numbers because our whole responsibility is features and benefits. And we're just supposed to be storytellers. But if you want to be successful as an on-air guest, if you want to continue to have vendors choose you as their guest, you need to have a track record of success. And Yeah, that you got does to move come the needle. down to numbers. Yes. Right. You got let's be real, you got to move the needle. Yeah. So they tell us that the numbers aren't our responsibility. They're the host responsibility. And the host, as a full-time employee of HSN, does have access to the internal porter portal that shows all of their numbers. They have very detailed numbers and they get huge bonuses when they have high numbers. I was going to ask, So, do you get one? mm -hmm. Do you get paid? no, Okay. I'm, You I'm get starting. no, you go, wait, 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 hold on. I can't move off this subject. You get no commission based on the performance. I, I could, if I want to, I would just have to negotiate that. You And choose if it's not a little, to. <laughs> Do you choose yes, not to? Why? yes. Right now, between a full-time job and a part-time job, it's kind of like an hours in the day thing for me. Richard is shaking his head like you But should the way, definitely wait, 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 get some. but, how, but you're doing the job anyways. So why Yes. not just be like, yes, I would like a cut of whatever gets sold. How is that extra work? It Well, getting paid is always extra work, whether it's a flat rate or commission, because I work with a bunch of different vendors and I'm having to remind them to pay me constantly. It's a lot of work. Oh, so you have to do the back end of it. Um, I'm the bookkeeper. I'm everything. You're doing collections. Yeah. Yes. And the numbers work out if I have a really good product that's been proven to sell well time and time again on air, which isn't the case with all the products, then a commission would allow me to make about the same amount in maybe a less number of airings. So there's like, Th their I see. estimates, their their math equations at HSN are pretty spot on. Like they can kind of guess how many of something's going to sell after it's it's had a track record. But yeah, it's it's a lot of work to. <laughs>
I don't even have access to all of those numbers. Like, because I'm not an HSN employee, I don't have the internal portal that shows all the data. I would have to rely on my vendor. Do you, to does the, be looking at I would imagine that the time slot you get matters too. Yes. Because if you're getting 3 a.m. They stopped a, going live at 2 a.m. now. Okay. That sorry. happened. So let's I think say you get COVID. 1 a.m. Yeah. is a different odds of success than maybe. Yeah. Weekday you know, versus weekend on a weekday. Oh yeah, I don't know. The host matters, you know, if if you're with a host that sells this specific product really well or not. Yeah, it's very complicated. So what, many variables. Do you get to pick the time and day or no? Oh no, they. That's what. That's like territory, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what keeps a lot of on-air guests from being able to stay for the long term because you are just entirely a slave to them. Like <laughs> that's a little extreme, but you, if like, if they tell you today that you're on air tomorrow, you better be on air. Or if you tell them, no, like you're not going to, you're not you going to have a flexible full-time job where you can do that. Yeah. 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 So I never, like, I didn't get a lot of traction in my first seven years as an on-air guest because I was a teacher. And so I would be asking off from my full-time job constantly. Um, most of my airings really are early morning, late night, and weekends. They always have been. But on the off chance that it's like in a nine to five hour, when I was a teacher, it would be really tough to like orchestrate. I would, and I would like take the half day off work and then show up in my classroom with hair and makeup where normally I have my hair up and my glasses on and my students would be like, who are you? <laughs> I'd like so two selves. I've got, I've got another question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my hypothesis is that, you know, Friday and Saturday night at midnight is the ideal time, right? Because everybody's coming home and they're drunk and then they're going to start to spend. Yeah, the late night drunk spending. But the weekends are also great. Yeah. It is. Wow. Yeah. But the weekends are also big for electronics. Electronics are one of HSN's top selling categories. I'm sure my phone's not ringing here. Um, and I, I really do think that we get a lot of like later and weekend hours so I wanna, versus clothing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually have one more question. Is there a demographic? Is there like, yes, is, it just like said what is, what is it? Is it you are millennials on home shopping network? No, I'll, I'll tell you. So HSN does a lot of customer research. Um, I am all, I'm not talking to the 90 million households that have access to HSN. When I speak, I'm talking to Nicole. Nicole is the target customer and her mom, Linda used to be the target customer. And these are their actual names. Like if you, if you look right. at the data, her name is Linda. That's who's always shopped at HSN. So she is a homemaker. She's in her 60s. She's retired. She's in charge of the household spending. She loves a good deal. She loves feeling like she's on the cutting edge and like finding something cool and telling her friends about it. It's like the shopping sport kind of person. So that's Linda. Her daughter, Nicole, interestingly enough, is African-American. She's a millennial. She is more tech savvy. And she doesn't shop on, like she doesn't call from the number on the TV like her mom does. She's scanning QR code. She's making a purchase online and using socials a lot. That's amazing. That's like, that mm -hmm. is customer research, Scott, that like we would all love. And it's instant, I guess. Mm -hmm relatively instantaneous. So um, mm -hmm. pretty cool. yeah, I want to, I want to pivot this conversation entirely. You mentioned you were a teacher. 
If I, yeah. if I remember correctly, you were a teacher for six or seven years. Is that about eight right? Eight years total. Eight, mm-hmm. eight years total. What were you teaching? Um, and then how did you make this transition from teaching so, into sales, events, marketing, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'll tell you the whole story. So when I graduated with an art degree, I started full time at that you know, art auction on TV. And then when I saw how easy and fun HSN was, I spent six months just as an on-air guest trying to get enough brands that I represent to make that my full-time job. I saw how difficult that was. I substitute taught in the school system here in St. Pete, Florida that I grew up in and that my parents have been career teachers in. And every school I went to as a sub, they're like, can you please be a full-time teacher here? Um, Because, you know, public schools are desperate for teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, When I wasn't able to get enough HSN airings for it to be a consistent income, I caved and started working full-time as a teacher. I started at a dropout prevention school. I did what um, they call in my district transition to teaching. It's... um, two years of like a bi-monthly class that I went to, to get something that substituted as an education degree. And that whole eight years teaching, I was able to, you know, continue at HSN. The only thing that pulled me away from teaching, and it was kind of serendipitous because when I first started, I thought there are so many sides to myself. There's so many skills that I want to explore. I shouldn't let myself teach for 30 years. I should maybe cut it at like 10 So once I got to that eight-year mark, my husband, who's a boat captain, really wanted to be in Seattle. He got a job offer there. And so when that pulled me away from the district I've been teaching in, I told myself, I'm not going to go back to teaching. I'm going to try something else. And I got the remote job that I still have at inside.com. That's really, was it, was it that financially you weren't, and you wanted more out of the career for teaching, which is a sad thing to say, was it? It It's so, yeah, it's so depressing. No, I didn't really feel burned out. Although teaching has always been extremely um, taxing. I still have teaching dreams. When I taught, I had teaching dreams every single night. I just had one last night. Like what's a teaching dream? Um, I believe that uh, the reason our brains dream is just like troubleshooting for real life. So every day when you're in the classroom, especially in the types of classrooms I was in, um, there's like a million problems to solve at every moment. And so I think that teaching dreams just served as extra like troubleshooting mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was asleep. Um, you know, oh, this could happen. This could happen. How would you deal with this problem? You know, Um So financially, it's so depressing. I was a really good teacher. My district actually um, just contacted me last semester and asked if I would train teachers. (laughs) So I'm going to do that just in whatever free time I have left this semester. Um, And I knew that I would never make a cent more for being a really good teacher. And I knew that all the teachers around me where the students were complaining about them every day that they didn't learn anything and they didn't do anything in those classes would also never make a cent more or less. So I think that, um, you know, I saw my parents' whole career, you know, never making it past that 40, 50K number for 30 years straight, no matter what. And that's rough. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, I I can appreciate that, and and you know, kudos to your 
to all the teachers out there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what are the skills that, and you clearly have them innately, right? Um, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious to all of us. What are the skills though, that you find useful from teaching that you bring into, whether it's your HSN role or your inside.com role at events? Like what are some of those things that are transferable? Public speaking is one. Um like an outgoingness, not all teachers are outgoing, but just an ability to communicate well. Like it was so fascinating to me after leaving teaching and just seeing the world of communications, <laughs> like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. PR, you know, marketing. And I'm like, wow, this is lots of skills that line up here. Funny enough, um, the FBI wants teachers for their public speaking roles. I interviewed with the FBI at one point. <laughs> <laughs> to be a special agent, just dealing with the public, you know, like That's having really friendly. Interesting. I would not, yeah. I would not guess that they are recruiting teachers. Yeah. Like just, you know, good cop in the are good they recruiting cop, salespeople, cop Richard, we should go interview for like the CIA or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we passed the, the, the CIA. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever is like the dark ops one, we could pass that one because they don't care about your background. Right. Right. It's actually a bone. It's actually a plus one in the, we should right. hire this person call. Right. Well, well, you know what? We're having a couple of Navy SEALs come on the podcast soon. We'll ask them how that, yeah. how that all plays out. Are you really? No yeah. way. Yeah. Couple you of, are. Couple. Oh yeah. Just throw yeah. out the dark ops idea to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like communications is a huge part of it. Like when you're a teacher, you really have to endear these young people to you. You have to let them know that like, we are in this together. I'm on your team. I am not that old school kind of teacher. That's like, surprise, here's a test. Like a teacher is on your side. They are there for you being successful. And some old school teachers don't really see that or believe that. But yeah, I think that um, there's this community aspect that I used in teaching that I kind of translate into my work at HSN and my work at Inside. It's like, how can we be on the same team and help each other? All that good stuff. Hardest part about juggling multiple roles is what for you? Mental health. (laughs) Why? What Um, What does it do to your mental health to juggle the roles? I'm like an overachiever type like third in my class homecoming queen, like 4.2, you know, all that, like never successful enough. And so the anxiety of like not being the best or like not getting everything done really well is what wears on me. So how do you, how do you fight back against that? Do you, do you have this sort of perfectionist approach that is damaging sometimes? Have you learned how to sort of submit something that's going to be a B plus, A minus, and that's good Mm. enough and let's go on to the next thing? Like, how do you attack that? Yeah, there's so many like tools in the toolbox that I could share. Like, I, I, even though I'm an overachiever, I don't feel like I'm too much of a perfectionist. It's very important that done is better, you know, that I remember that done is better than perfect sometimes. And the place that that mentality really is important is in um, just like outcomes-based work. And that's what I love about remote companies and remote work is like the thing is getting the task done. And 
if you can show those outcomes, that's the most important thing that matters. And um, there's a lot of jobs out there that aren't like that. You just show up, you clock in, you clock out, and you know it, it's not as important how good of a job you do. But yeah, I think that one of the ways that I manage is trying to constantly eliminate distractions, which is so hard for everyone in this world of social media and, and short attention spans. I feel like every single day when I get on my computer, I am just clicking out of stuff constantly. Um, and just trying to have one item on my to-do list and every morning getting the most important task for my full-time job done, like always making sure that that's number one. Like if I feel like I would have an A day emailing 50 cold leads and an A plus day emailing 60 cold leads, I'm just going to make sure I get 50 cold leads <laughs> emailed. You know what I mean? So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Please. So on the one hand, you don't want to, you don't want to do the extra work on this commission thing, right? Oh gosh. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, you're, you're going to go and start training some teachers, right? <laughs> so you're going to do something with this extra time that you have. So is it, and may, maybe the answer is, is like, yeah, it's really not that financially lucrative for the amount of time I put in for trying to make some commissions. You know, I don't know if the, your other pay goes down there because you're trying to make commissions and all that stuff, but it can backfire. I could make less with commissions. You could, okay. So there, mm -hmm. there, there's a safety net piece there for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always know my flat rate and that I will make that if I keep the flat and rate. And that's important to you. Like you yeah. And I don't have extra time. Like I will make time for what I feel is important. And the biggest deficit in my life right now is meaningful work. As a teacher, I never had that deficit. Every single day, I knew that I was for sure contributing mm -hmm. to the betterment of our society and individual lives that needed help. I was confident that I was doing that every day. And I don't really have that today. So mm -hmm. I volunteer every week at a group girls home in my neighborhood for foster kids. And like, right. I'll train teachers because- I'm going to make the time for it. Cause that's also important. That that's a clear definition. I can, I can mm -hmm. understand that a little bit. So um, I think Scott's still scratching his head about the commission. Thing. I'll go for the dollar. Yeah. There he is scratching his head. I, I spend the other 99% of my week going for the dollar. <laughs> that's why she's having nightmares. She's, she's, she's at, it's not a nightmare. With, she's struggling with this balance of dreaming about teaching and presenting and you know, that's where the burnout. The art happens. that I make, the art that I make is about balance. Yeah. Burnout is a very real fear constantly. So my painting degree has turned into lots of abstract paintings that I cut into shapes, which is a quick way to make a painting because I take all these shapes, arrange them, glue them down. I arrange them so they feel like they're balanced. So for the and past do you sell two those? Um, not really. I mean, okay. I have one in a gallery right now. <laughs> I was, I was just curious if it was like, oh, here's a whole other gig that we didn't even touch base on, you know? I've uh, never been successful at monetizing my art. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is that part where we sort of flip it over to you and see if you have a question or two for us. So is anything come up for you that you want to ask? I just want to hear how the last sales surfing event in Costa Rica went. That seems so fun. Go for it, Richard. Um, it was really, really a good one. It was, it was unique. We do, we do two, um, in the, in the fall and November. And so, you know, we expect to see you this November and you, people can okay. go to see if I can make it happen. Right. Yeah. Um, 
we'd love to have you there and and you could you could probably do a session for us on presentation skills and demo skills right Scott? on <laughs> um but it was really really cool um the second group was an alumni group so we've done enough of them that it was all with the exception of two people it was all repeat and it was interesting because on the one hand they were all repeat but they also all didn't really know know each other mm. right so on one hand you think they're all alumni but they're all coming because we've done nine others they're all coming from different events. So a couple of them knew each other, but they didn't know the rest. So that was a really interesting dynamic I hadn't thought of. I don't know if you did, Scott. Um, but I think it really helped reinforce that. Um, and then the first one was amazing also. Like it's, it's we've got it decently dialed in. We know the people that are coming. We know the kind of content they want. It's very interactive. You know, we don't overwhelm people with content. You know, we do four-ish hours of content a day and we have, Mm -hmm. surf lesson in for two hours a day and then we have more surfing and then you're hanging out so it's not a perfect it's not a drunk party right we're not in a city or a town so it's not like people are running out to the local bar um yeah. so that helps um so it's just you know it, it was just really great scott you what was your takeaway i don't know that there was anything really new that i took away this last year from all the previous years it's just it's always a uh, reaffirming to to host these events and have people give, you know, killer feedback to us about mm. the location, the, the group that you're there hanging out with and networking with and, and the content being helpful. And, you know, they, they leave like super fired up to go about their day mm. and their life. And then they follow up with us even right now, literally while we're on this, Richard and I both got texted by somebody who, has made this list of like influential people now and stuff like that and it's, it's like you know those types of things are always a good reminder of why we put on the the event it's just really good for your business good for your soul and yep. um it's a great opportunity to to get help and to help others as well you know what were the one or two like top topic areas for the content sessions that you helped we talked a lot about um, the future of sales, I would say, is one of them. At, yep. this, at the last Surf and Sales, like what's working now, what's not working, what do we think will work in the future, what you can do to prepare. Yeah. So, for example, if you were there, I would have given you like homework or whatever. And I would have said, listen, in order for you to prepare for the future of sales, you cannot exist with 1500 connections on LinkedIn, because that's roughly how many that you have. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be able to survive moving forward in the future. Uh -huh. If your network is not online and digital, you started, well, before we were on air, you were like, what's a good way to get guests to come on these events that we do and all this stuff. Well, number one, you need a fucking network yeah. and you don't have one. Yeah. Candidly, like online on LinkedIn, you may have a network, right. like your church group, your colleagues that you've worked with or whatever, or sports teams that your kids are on. You don't have a digital network. That's such a good point. So if you think about a world where the only way you're going to be able to open opportunities is through people that you know, because nobody picks up cold calls anymore, or nobody answers cold emails anymore. How are you going to basically partner your way into opportunities if you don't have 
a network of people. So things like that was a big topic of conversation and, and what mm-hmm. people could do to prepare for that world that I think we're in now that is going to get going to skew more that way in the future. That was one of the main kind of content subjects. What, what was another one, Richard, that stood out to you? Yeah, there was one um, where we talk about teaching people how to negotiate the internal politics of an organization. You know, we, we try to find things that everybody nice. experiences, but they don't, they've never been taught. Like nobody's ever taught us how to, yeah. how do I prep to go into a internal meeting to get what I want? when it's budget season for all the things I need to run my department. Um, so those things are usually pretty fascinating. Um, we do, we last couple of times we've done one and it was good this time too, was on um, interviewing skills and how to be a better interviewer. So, you know, most of these people are in leadership roles and or individual contributor roles who want to get into leadership roles. So they, have certain things they've done over and over because that's just the way we've always done them yeah so we try to find those things and and break through on that um so i think that was those are the big ones love it yeah well what uh where can people find you where can people engage with you to learn more about what you do and that type of stuff any parting thoughts for our audience Yeah, definitely. Obviously, LinkedIn, because (laughs) I love thinking about that as a past and future thing, because I see executives that have like 400 followers on LinkedIn. And I'm like, what's going on there? You're right. It's like the way of the future that all their networks should really be online. So find me on LinkedIn, Um, Twitter at Steph Zielinski, Z-I-E-L-I-N-S-K-I. And my email for Inside is really easy. It's Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E at inside.com. And the reason you should email me is if you are someone that would want to be on an Inside virtual event, I'm always booking speakers. So I'm booking a group right now for portfolio diversification, people in private equity and real estate, even fine art. That's happening in March. In June, we have an AI event. So looking for leaders and thinkers in AI, founders, investors in AI. And then we have a marketing event in August. So anyone that is interested in being a speaker on those events can email me. There you go. Well, Stephanie, thank you for sharing a world that we've never heard of. Um, oh, yeah. The three seconds where we <laughs> also have no shot of ever getting in that world. We're not going to yeah. be on TV at 3 a.m., 2 a.m., the, 1 a.m. The companies, the like the products that they have on air, those companies have to have like huge distribution networks. Like they have really specific needs for the companies that sell their products on HSN. It's so interesting. Totally, totally understand that. Well, thank you, Stephanie. We we greatly appreciate your time today and, and the conversation. It was really, really fun. Yeah, I appreciate all you guys do. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. And we'll see you all next time on the Surf and Sales podcast.